Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and uh, we're doing something real weird today. Uh, I don't have a co-host. I don't have a special guest. Uh, it's just me, baby. Uh, you are stuck here for the next however long uh, while I ramble on like a crazy person about Penn State football. Uh, we apologize for this one coming out a little bit later uh, in the week. A couple things just didn't quite line up with schedules this week. So we're kind of going on the fly, as you can tell by the fact that this is a solo show uh, with just me, but it's a solo show with just me uh, for an episode that I think should be uh, pretty fun. The Nittany Lions went out into College Park and took care of business uh, on Saturday afternoon, picking up a 51-15 to win over Maryland. As a result, the team moves to 8-1 and on the season, 5-1 and in conference play. Uh, and there's going to be, we're, you know, we're going to do this to the best of my ability. We're going to spend some time talking about the defense, spend some time talking about the offense. Uh, we're going to pay some bills in the home field apparel in there. We're going to hand out game balls, uh, give first thoughts on Michigan, all those sorts of things. And we'll get to that. Uh, but I want to start by just talking about the game overall kind of broadly. And I think after the Ohio state game, we saw Penn state with that hangover against Indiana. And it took a bit for Penn State to uh, figure out what it wanted to do against Indiana. Everything looked like it was a team that was completely stuck in the mud. Everything looked like it was a team that was running the risk of it, running the risk of losing to Ohio State twice. And that has been a really bad habit. Uh, by the Nittany Lions over the years, where they lose a game, they go into the next one, they lose the next one as a result of that. And I think that was the case again. It just looked like a team that was stuck in the mud. And then something happens. Something we haven't seen. Two things that we haven't really seen in weeks happen, where Penn State, Drew Auer throws that interception, Defense goes out there, takes care of business, and then right after that, uh, Aller comes out, uncorks a bomb to Keandre Lambert-Smith that took care of things for Penn State. And I think when you put all of that together, it set the table really well for this game against Maryland. I wasn't on uh, the preview show at the end of the week, uh, but I was a little bit worried. There were some concerns that I had about Penn State going into this game against Maryland because of some of the stuff that we saw Maryland do. Uh, we know that Maryland has, for whatever reason, they've always been able to throw the ball on teams. They have always had skill position guys who can make plays. And we saw to an extent they were able to do that. They went too far in that direction, very obviously, with Talia Tagovailoa throwing the ball 39 times and the running backs, you know, whoever they handed the ball off to, getting seven carries on the day. You don't need me to read off the stats. You've surely heard them by now. Uh, Maryland threw the ball, uh, went 31-42, 283 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Ran the ball 16, 16 times for negative 49 yards. Obviously, sacks are factored into that. Their long was a four-yard gain by their backup quarterback. It was the kind of game that I thought Penn State could maybe. I thought this game was going to be considerably more difficult because of Maryland's ability to throw the football. The fact that they have playmakers, Ty Felton, Corey Deitch, uh, Caden Prather, Deshaun, Deshaun Jones, guys like that. And... 
they got theirs to an extent. I also think it's important to point out the only times Maryland scored points were on drives where Penn State basically kept handing them free yards. Uh, penalties weren't a like, oh, God, this is terrible. Back break for Penn State. Seven penalties, 76 yards. It's a thing they need to clean up, but it certainly wasn't uh, the end of the world or anything like that. But you look through Maryland's drive chart, downs, fumble, punt, touchdown on a drive, that featured uh, roughing the kicker by Liam Clifford, uh, an illegal substitution penalty, just stuff that kept letting them stay on the field. Punt, punt, punt. Uh, another touchdown drive that featured uh, a pass interference by Johnny Dixon, uh, and then a roughing the passer on the very next play by Deny Dennis Sutton. Interception, fumble, interception, end of game. I'm actually looking at the number of plays now because I haven't really done that. Uh, six play drive for Maryland, five play, and then three and out, nine plays and a punt. Three and out, five plays and a punt. Uh, there's a one-play drive in the interception, a one-play drive with the fumble, two plays in the interception. Just a dominant performance by Penn State's defense. We'll get into that in a second. And then I, I, I like everyone, was very interested in seeing what kind of performance we were going to get out of Drew Aller after that light bulb went off. And I want to give uh, my pal Daniel Gallen over 24-7 credit for tweeting this quote uh, out after the game. But Aller after the game, it just feels like you're kind of just out there playing and just really smooth is how I kind of describe it. Once you find that rhythm, it's really hard to break it. And I think you just need to stay in the moment and just stay calm and present. I think last week at the end of the game, it finally kind of clicked for me where I was just out there playing, not trying to be perfect or anything like that. That mentality is something that has kind of helped me get to this point And I don't want to lose that. And I thought that was not just the case for Drew. That seemed to be the case for the entire offense. We're going to go through, look at some numbers, look at some stats, talk about some guys' involvement. But everything looked easy for Penn State's offense. It From that very first drive that the Nittany Lions had, eight plays, 44 yards, they just marched right down the field and score. It seemed like it was going to be a game where Penn State – just found that gear that you want the very best teams in the country to be able to find, particularly coming off of a game like the one they had against Indiana. They went into Maryland, ran them off the field on both sides of the football. You know, I, uh, I tweeted after the game and uh, my pal Alex Kirshner, uh, Maryland graduate with the pod split zone duo uh, brought it up on their recap pod this week, but it really is stunning to me just how little Penn state respects Maryland. <laughs> Like every single time out there, it feels like Penn State, it just has something else, that little extra level to which it is able to go because they are playing Maryland. And there are just so many hard feelings there from that game that Penn State played, uh, you know, the famous no handshake game in 2014, uh, the 2020 game, which I had forgotten about in the aftermath. they tweeted out a picture of a generic Maryland player standing in front of Beaver Stadium with the caption, you were, we are. And if you actually go and look at that graphic, it features a very upset Sean Clifford uh, kind of hidden in it. Like, if you're not looking for it, you might not see it, but it is pretty prominently in there. Since then, 31-14 win in College Park, 30 to nothing last year, and of course, 51-15 to this year. Uh, I'm just glad that we were able to see Penn State go out, take care of business, do something that we have wanted them to see for quite a few weeks on both sides 
of the football. Like if you think back on this season, they picked up, uh, you know, 23 points over West Virginia, 27 points against Illinois. Oh wait, no, 17 points against Illinois. Uh, 28 points against Northwestern. Like they've had 31 points against Iowa. They've had emphatic games, all wins all season long. I don't know if there was a win that felt like this in large part because of how Aller was able to put his stamp on this game, how Katron Allen in particular was able to run the football. And we'll get into all of that in a second. Uh, first, I'm going to take a sip of something. Hmm. It turns out talking like this, not easy. Uh, but we're going to start by talking about Penn State's defense and the performance that we saw out of the Nittany Lions on that side of the ball. And I think it's very hard to take too terribly much away from a game like this. We know how great Penn State's defense is. And uh, in the most recent SP Plus uh, ratings from our pal Bill Connolly, they're up to their fourth nationally in defensive SP plus the teams ahead of them. Number one, Michigan, uh, number two, I believe to be Iowa, uh, number three, Ohio state, and then Penn state. Very, very funny that Penn state's going to have to play, uh, each of the top three defenses, uh, in the country this season, neither here nor there. Uh, I think it was obvious very early on that Maryland was just not going to be able to run the football. Roman Hemby, uh, their, their number one standout running back, five carries on the game for zero yards. Uh, his, their number two running back, Colby McDonald, who has been a bit of a home run hitter for them, one carry for negative three yards. Their third running back, the guy who was the third most carries on the year, he hasn't quite been uh, that efficient this season, uh, Antoine Littleton the second, uh, again, one carry, negative three yards. Obviously, they got to Talia Tagovailoa a ton, but even then, his longest run on the day was two yards. And the reason I don't think we could take too terribly much away from this is that at a certain point, Mike Loxley, uh, you know, former Penn State wide receivers coach Josh Gaddis, who is now their offensive coordinator, they decided to just say, screw it, we're not throwing, running the football. We are consciously making a choice to not run the football and Penn State's defense obviously deserves a ton of credit for that Abdul Carter uh, James Franklin actually shouted him out uh, said I believe he played his best game of the season I think he had a huge game uh, in stopping to run the interior of Penn State's defensive line whether it was Akeem Beeman uh, Devon Ellis, uh, Koziah Izzard you, you, uh, you know you name it they went out there and I thought really he pushed Maryland around in the trench. Zane Durant, uh, also want to make sure I give him a shout out. They really pushed around Maryland in the trenches. And as a result, Maryland decided they were going to do, they were going to play a game of Madden. Have you ever played Madden? And for whatever reason, something is just not working. So you try to spam something else. Like that happens to me all the time. There will be times where I'm trying to run the football, trying to establish and, and obviously trivializing major college football and comparing it to a video game is not always right, but I think it works pretty well here. <laughs> I think it works pretty well here where Maryland tried running the ball just a little bit. That first drive, they ran it once Hemby one yard gain. They decide they're 
you know, that was enough for them. That next drive, Talia runs it for two yards. They decide again, we're just not going to run it anymore here. Next drive after that. So Penn State's up 7-0. It is still a football game. Hemby runs, no game. Littleton runs, uh, Littleton runs, loss of three yards. There is Antoine Littleton's one carry of the game. There is two of the five carries that Hemby got on the day. At that point, they decided, and, and a part of this was because Talia Tagovailoa did a really good job running the football. They were or throwing the football. We're, we're done. This is not something that's going to work for us. And that is a huge credit to Penn State's defense, to Manny Diaz, getting the unit into a place where they were able to just overwhelm Maryland in the trenches, run the fo- not let them run the football, and turn this into a passing game. Obviously, next week against Michigan, that's not going to happen. They sent, I don't want to say they got a week off or anything like that, but it was a week where they just did not have to worry about that being a thing that beat them, which might end up being the case next week against Michigan. Again, we'll, we'll worry about that another time. For now, Penn State's run defense needs, deserves to get all the credit in the world. As for Penn State's passing defense, it was a little, you know, this is two weeks now where, It's a bit feast or famine. A feast or famine isn't quite the right way of putting it, but it's relying a lot on Penn State's pass rush to be able to get home, to be able to do things, to be able to take care of business so that teams aren't throwing the ball down the field, which, you know, just every, that's what it's like for just about every single college football team. Talia Tagovailoa, one thing that we know about him is he's really good when he is able to get into a rhythm and stay in a rhythm. And he started... 17 for 17, 19 for 19, something like that. But at a certain point, Penn State was able to get him out of that rhythm. And I think it's telling that even, and this is where I think you get a little bit more optimistic about Penn State's uh, passing defense. You know, not to say there's pessimism or anything necessarily like that. Maryland decided they were going to lean all the way into running, throwing the football. Maryland decided they were going to just take what Penn State's deep, you know, take uh, whatever they could get against Penn State's defense. That was almost exclusively running the football. And despite that, their only points came on drives where Penn State basically handed it. You know, that again, a bit of an oversimplification. Maryland still has to go out there, take advantage of blah, blah, blah. Penn State's defense handed them 15 points on the day. And that's all that Maryland was able to take. I think there might be something just based on what we've seen the last couple of weeks in not Penn State's defenses being figured out, nothing like that, but teams are becoming a little bit more willing to throw the ball on Penn State, a little bit more willing to say, we're snapping it, we're getting it out quickly, we're just going to take that. And Part of that is a testament to how Manny Diaz has put his uh, put his run defense together over the last however many, you know, over the course of this season. Obviously, that was such a huge concern uh, after last year's Mar- uh, Michigan game, and they've really responded in an impressive way over the last couple of over, – over the last, you know, what is it, 20 games since then, whatever that number ends up being. Uh, but having said that, Ty Felton, Corey Deitch, Caden Prather, they were able to find little pockets of space in Penn State's defense, and Penn State's pass rush got home a lot, 
got home six times, got 12 tackles for loss, did just about everything you want to do. But sometimes the other teams are just going to hit layups against you. And in the basketball analogy here, you give up the occasional layup, that's fine. You give up the occasional layup against a team that has no idea what to do other than make layups, I think that's fine. Having said that, it's just a little thing that um, – Little, little thing that I'm going to watch over the over uh, the early couple of drives of Penn State's game against Michigan because you know they don't really get the credit that I think they deserve. Roman Wilson is one of the best receivers in the country. Cornelius Johnson is a really good wide receiver, and Colston Loveland has been a very good tight end for them. I, I'm very interested to see if the last couple of weeks have just been cases of games where Penn State's secondary, um, you know haven't had their a plus 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 game you know i'm gonna write off the ohio state game a little bit because they had marvin harrison uh but since then you would have liked i think you would have liked to see penn state's passing defense really put the clamps on uh on maryland's passing offense but at the same time and same last week with uh indiana but it's not something that i'm going to worry about too terribly much more more just a thing that i think is worth putting a little bit of an asterisk on there but having said that you know, Kalen King is uh, as tough as, you know, I thought he was really tough, really physical, did a really good job competing this week. Same with uh, Johnny Dixon. Uh, you know, Penn State just has, between those two and Daquan Hardy, three just dogs at cornerback. And Penn State's safety play this week, KJ Winston had himself uh, a pretty nice game. Jalen Reed, Jalen Reed. They were able to avoid the kinds of major breakdowns uh, that let Indiana score on them which you know thank god for that they would have gotten killed in this game if they allowed a couple of those uh they didn't do that though they were able to kind of iron out whatever worried them and i think that's probably why i'm not too terribly worried about the passing defense heading in uh, to michigan next week is because we saw them last week against indiana have problems problems that needed to be sorted out problems that led to them handing the other team points and we kind of got that this week in the form of a couple of penalties and Maryland was able to make them pay for that. But the big things that caused them problems last week were we just don't have everyone on the same page. And I thought this week they did a good job being locked in. They did a good job staying locked in. Um, they weren't letting Maryland go out there and get what they weren't letting Maryland go out there and get the sorts of big plays that actually really punish you are really a death knell uh, for a team like Penn state. They had a 30 yard reception by Felton, a 28 yard reception by Prather. And then it was a bunch of, you know, 20 yards here, 15 yards. Here. Like they weren't getting beaten in ways that makes me think there is something structurally uh, wrong that Ohio state maybe figured out and other teams have copied with Penn state's defense. So encouraging performance by Penn state's defense on the whole, uh, especially without chop Robinson, you know, you feel for chop because you could tell this game meant a lot for him, but you know, James Franklin mentioned the fact that he was able to travel with the team, uh, go with the team, uh, work out with the team, be around the team, have that presence. That was really good for him. Hopefully Penn state is able to get him back next week. Cause I really do think I, you know, a little bit of a spoiler for the end of this pod and next week's pods or later in the week pods. I don't think Penn state is going to be beating Michigan, but Having a guy like Chop Robinson makes a big difference in a game like that. They were able to get out, uh, not worry about that today. 
or uh, this past week, sorry, uh, Abdul Carter had a sack. Adisa Isaac had a sack. Johnny Dixon had a sack. Keon Wiley had a sack. Hakeem Beeman, Tony Rojas, boy, uh, I don't think he's going to be getting too terribly much playing time against Michigan. Uh, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll find a way to get onto the field because he's just that talented, but I'm really excited to see him the week after against Rutgers and the week after that against Michigan state. And then whatever Penn state has in the bowl, because that guy can really play like when, when you're that young and you are finding ways like he did in getting the interception uh, later in the game, uh, what he did just as a big play player, I believe he forced uh, one of the fumbles that Penn state recovered. That dude's got, a very, very long future of playing football for Penn State uh, ahead of him. And we're getting into that point in the season where if you are that level of true freshman, the cream rises to the top or whatever the uh, whatever the macho man Randy Savage uh, line is. Those kind of guys you can just tell. And I think that it's totally fine if you don't do that. It's totally fine if a true freshman doesn't do that, but the glimpses that we got of Tony Rojas at the end of this game makes me think he's a guy who could potentially do that. Uh, I think that's enough about Penn State's defense. Uh, real quick, we got some uh, ad that we need to pay, or we got some bills that we need to pay. We're going to do that by telling you guys about Homefield Apparel, longtime sponsor of the podcast. Homefield been our sponsor since we decided to go podcast only to make some of the best merch in the game. For Penn State fans, you know, you got you got your places in town that make that sell some really great merch. We all love going to the family clothesline, paying, you know, X dollars, picking up a pe- bit of Penn State gear. But what Homefield does that a lot of other places don't is making designs, making gear that is just so unique, doesn't look like the other stuff that you have in your Penn State collection. I know I have plenty of Homefield stuff. I'm going to continue to get plenty of Homefield stuff because they're just that good at making stuff for Penn state and for the various other schools in their collection. If you are uh, a first time it is, if you've never made a purchase from home field apparel, we have an offer for you. Use the promo code RLR two, three to get 15% off of your first order. Again, if you never purchased from home field apparel before use the promo code RLR two, three for 15% off of your first order. One more time. I want to give a shout out to home field apparel for sponsoring this podcast and every other podcast that we do, but I think it's time we get into talking about Penn State's offense. Mm. Nittany Lion offense had themselves a day. I mean, you look at kind of the raw numbers, 404 yards of total offense, maybe not as impressive. Uh, of, you know, certainly not as impressive as, you know, a team like Washington putting up a billion yards, a uh, billion points, anything like that. But I care about how things looked. And to me, what we saw, I thought that was Drew Aller's best game as Penn State's quarterback. And I don't know if it's particularly close. I know that a lot of people will point to his performance against West Virginia, where he had, uh, you know, 325 yards, three touchdowns, maybe point to his game against Iowa, where uh, four touchdowns at home, all these sorts of things. Delaware completed a higher percentage of passes. I get it. To me, what was different about this game from West Virginia, from Delaware, from UMass, from Iowa, was Drew looked to be in total command of everything around him. And that's hard. That is so much harder than being able to just look like a natural when he's going out there and spinning the football. Again, going back to that quote that he gave uh, after the game, 
I was just out there playing, not trying to be perfect or anything like that. And I think we saw a quarterback who was just playing and not making it like this huge point of being perfect because it always seemed to me like Drew cared a little bit too much about being perfect, about getting everything done perfectly. And he didn't look like a quarterback who was worried about perfection in this game. He looked like a quarterback who was worried about, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to worry, but I'm not going to worry about that too much. I'm not going to make big mistakes, not because my hope is I need to be perfect. I'm not going to make mistakes because I'm just that good. I'm just that talented. And that's what I personally have wanted to see from Drew all season long. He has the arm to make throws like that touchdown. Either of his touchdown passes to Dante Cephas, where he lobs them in over the top of the defense and Cephas just makes like Jim, Jim Edmonds and center field catches tracking them over his shoulder, his touchdown pass to, uh, to Tyler Warren. Do we think Drew makes that throw earlier this season when it seemed like his main concern was, I can't be, I have to be perfect in anything. That's a throw that is risky in theory, but because of how talented that dude is, how he has this NFL arm, how he has it between the ears in a way that you want Drew Aller to have, he is able to make. And he did all of that stuff. That that play, his touchdown to Theo Johnson. Think about what we've seen out of Drew Aller all season. Do we really think he was ever comfortable and confident enough to go, well, screw it. I'm just going to pitch this up to Theo, who's directly in front of me while I'm being pulled down. No, that in weeks past, I really think Drew just throws that, spikes that into the ground. It, it, it was just such a radically different guy than we've seen. And obviously a big part of that was what was happening around him. I thought Mike Yurcich called a really good game of putting Drew in positions where he's making these throws. He's getting these throws where you don't have to go out there, go through your th- six reads. Don't go through your four reads. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. I got off that quick. Got off that quick. Got off that quick. I'm just going to take this check out to the running back. That was actually a point that I wanted to bring up. Katron Allen had one catch for one yard in the game. Nick Singleton had zero catches on the game. Trey Potts had one catch that came uh, from Bo Prabula on the final drive of the game. Drew wasn't checking down to his running backs, which is gigantic. That has been, I don't want to say it's necessarily a problem. I think Thomas Frank Carr, Blue White Illustrated, uh, expresses frustration with throwing to the running backs in a way that, you know, I, I echo his sentiments, but it's always, it seemed to me basically all year, like Drew has been in this mode where he goes, I'm not going to throw the ball in any situation where there's any risk associated with it. So I'm just going to take that little check down to Nick. I'm going to take that little check down to Katron. And what we saw out of Drew or what we saw around Drew, one, having a number two receiver in Dante Cephas or having, or Dante Cephas having the kind of game that we've all wanted him to have since he came to Penn state, 
gigantic. That gives him a bit of a safety blanket against a Maryland defense that isn't like, you know, they're not exactly the 86 Bears over there. But it was against a Maryland defense that you wanted to have this kind of a performance against. Dante Seif is having that breakout performance. You could see, and you've seen it all year, I think. Drew looks to him and wants to get him the football. And this was the first time that Dante Cephas, I think, really uh, rewarded that trust and that faith that Drew had in him. Cephas uh, on the day, six receptions, sorry, uh, yeah, six receptions, 53 yards, two touchdowns. On the season, 17 receptions. So six of the 17 receptions came uh, on Saturday, 199 yards. So 53 of his yards came on Saturday and two touchdowns. Both of his touchdowns came on Saturday. Having him, I think, made things a little bit easier for Keandre Lambert-Smith. And Keandre had, uh, you know, a game where he looked like a number one wide receiver. Eight receptions, 95 yards, was just a consistent option for Drew Aller, in part because there was a guy next to him in Dante Cephas who was able to take a little bit of pressure off of him, who was able to make it so a defense can't go, all right, that's the only threat that we're going to have to worry about. And we need to shout out Penn State's tight ends as well for the gains that they had. Tyler Warren, Theo Johnson, Khalil Dinkins. Nine receptions, 86 yards, 9.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns. They had more touchdowns. I believe as a unit, they caught three against Iowa, and that was uh, their season high. Yards, that was their season high. Penn State's tight ends combined for 86 yards. That was the most they had on the season. Receptions, it tied their high against Iowa, but it was on 6.8 yards per reception compared to 9.6 yards per uh, or yards per attempt here. What we saw out of Penn State's offense was kind of the fully actualized version of a passing game where you have the guy in Keandre Lambert-Smith that you know Drew was going to trust. You have the guy in Dante Cephas that is able to use his speed, able to get open. Drew's able to get him the football. Drew trusts him. You have the tight ends in Tyler Warren, 451 and one, Theo Johnson, 419 and one, who are able to be the consistent, um, safer options for Drew. And they're safe in a way that is different from Penn State's running backs because Penn State's running backs, you check down to them, they're picking up one, two, three yards. Nah, let's throw it a little bit farther down the field with your safer options in Warren, in Johnson. And, uh, you know, they converted a fourth down by throwing it to Dinkins. Unfortunately for Khalil Dinkins, his Penn State career is not going to end with him exclusively catching, uh, exclusively catching touchdowns. And on top of that, we saw a rushing performance that I think Penn State has been crying out for all season in uh, what they got from Katron Allen. It's one of the little sneaky concerning things for me about this Penn State season. The Nittany Lions have had one 100-yard rushing performance. It was Allen running for 103 yards uh, against Delaware. That's a problem, especially with how Penn State wants to be a team that has that balance, that is able to have a consistent running option and a, that kind of takes the pressure off of Drew as a consistent throwing option. On Saturday, what we saw was the best version of Katron Allen, I think. 14 carries, 91 yards, one touchdown. His long was 19 yards, but he ran for 6.5 yards per attempt. That's just something that Penn State needs. They need, they've needed a running back who is able to just get the ball, quick decisions, make one guy miss, pick up 
turn a two or three yard gain into a six or a seven yard gain. Katron Allen on the season, 6.5 yards per attempt. That is his most against a power five team on the year. His previous high was 5.1 against West Virginia. He still hasn't broken that big one. Uh, Nick Singleton didn't have a great game. Eight carries, 20 yards, long of six. Had a really good punt uh, kickoff return in there, uh, which I think is important. But as we're looking for Penn State's running game to really find that extra gear, it's looking to me like Katron Allen being the bell cow and Singleton being a little bit more of a change of pace back, a guy that you get the ball to in specific situations. Uh, maybe you're trying to catch the defense off guard. Maybe you're hoping, you know, he has his problems as a uh, receiver, but maybe you're a- hoping he's able to break a big one in the passing game, whatever it might be. Seems like a good balance. And I think this game gave a really good glimpse into maybe they, they on the coaching staff, on the offensive coaching staff, view things that way as well. And of course, we got a little bit of Drew Aller as a runner. Four carries, 39 yards, 9.8 yards per carry, had that one 21-yard carry. And that's something that has been there all season long. And Drew this week felt more comfortable taking it for whatever reason. Uh, I I can't remember when in the game. I think it might have been that 21-yard game or even another uh, nice game on the day. But Penn State cleared everyone out. I believe uh, they had four wide, and I think they ended up motioning out the running back. And the numbers that they had meant that it was four dudes from Maryland rushing, one guy keeping an eye on Aller. And I have seen that, you have seen that a million times over the course of football. When that happens, your center is essentially a fullback blocking for a running back in your running back, in your quarterback. And Penn State took that. And Penn State punished Maryland from that. And I, Drew isn't the fastest runner by any stretch of the imagination. He's a, uh, I, I think the word I used on the, uh, on the Twitter account during the game was cumbersome. He's a very cumbersome runner, but he's effective. He knows how to use his legs. He knows how to pick up yards with his legs. And having that element of QB run in the offense, when your running game is cooking and when your passing game looks good, even if the passing game was, again, he wasn't Michael Penix throwing on USC's defense. He was just being Drew Aller. It adds a dimension to the offense that they need. And speaking of adding dimensions to the offense that they need, um, Franklin said after the game, they finally got the Bo Perbula package out there. It wasn't overly productive, but I still think it causes some issues. Overall, I'm happy that we were able to get it out there and use it. And I think there are going to be people who say, well, you, it, it's good to put it on film. It's good to make teams think about it. Uh, it's good to make thing, teams think that this could potentially be something that comes. There was the, a double, another double pass attempt by Keandre Lambert-Smith. I, I think even the – I can't for the life of me remember who he tried throwing the ball to. He had that guy open, and it was just a really tough play to ask Keandre to make. All this tells me <laughs> – more than we want to get it on tape. We want to ha- make teams have to prepare for this. This is, I think Penn State just wanted to embarrass Maryland. I think they just saw a team that they could go out there and have a get right game against. I, I, that was, uh, again, Alex Kirshner. I think that was the, the exact phrasing he used, and I agree with it. This was a get right game for Penn State. And boy, did Penn State use it as an opportunity to get right uh, before they play the best team that they're going to play this entire season. And it's a little bit different, I think, than when they had this kind of game 
against UMass because Penn State should be able to go out there and just lean on UMass and and make their lives hell. They asked nothing of Drew Aller in that game. 16 for 23, 162 yards, three touchdowns. Nick Singleton ran the ball 15 times for 79 yards. Katron Allen ran it nine times for 68 yards. Bo Perbula ran it six times for 59 yards. Penn State did what it it can sleepwalk into a game against UMass and do. What we saw against Maryland was a Penn State team that went, we know the big test is coming next week. We're using this game to do whatever we need to do to make it so we're walking into that game against Michigan with our chest puffed out. We're walking into that game against Michigan believing that we can go out there and we can give these guys hell. And being able to do that against a Power 5 team on the road, you know Maryland fans and players get off that. Even though Maryland, uh, their season has gone sideways real, real, real quick. Uh, This is a big game for them. This is a game that is crucial for them to go out there and win uh, because they try to, you, you know, Penn State's a program they measure themselves against. And Penn State went into that game against a program that measures themselves against Penn State and dominated and flat out dominated. It was great. Like it was, again, the kind of game that Penn State needed before they go into a game against Michigan. We'll talk about that in a sec. Just handing out a couple game balls. One, the obvious one, Drew Aller has to get a game ball. Just his command of the offense, his confidence in himself and his receivers. It's something we haven't seen to that level all year. And I'm really proud of the performance that Drew put up this week, especially because he's about to go up against, he's about to go up against the best team in the country. And he now sounds like a guy who was going into this game with full belief that he's going to take it to that team. Whether or not he does, I don't know. And I almost don't care. But after that Ohio State game where it could have gone sideways for him real quick, this season could have gone belly up for him real quick, for him to go out there and have that game, awesome. He has now set the table to have a potentially huge game against Michigan. Uh, and it, if he does, it'll be in part because second game ball, I'm handing out Dante Cephas. Dante went out there and had himself a game. Dante had the kind of game that he's needed to have all year long. I still don't think he looks totally comfortable reeling the ball in. Uh, I know that was a flaw of his going back to his Kent State days. But he was fantastic. He had himself an excellent performance, the kind of performance worth building on. You know, if Trey Wallace comes back next week, which, you know, I don't know if he will or not, having Dante Cephas as your 2A, uh, your 3, whatever you want to say, God said, if he has to be Penn State's second option, we got a glimpse into he's becoming more and more comfortable in doing that. And I, again, just proud that he was able to have that kind of game in this kind of environment before the stretch run of the season. Uh, and then the last game ball, I'll hand it out on defense, Abu Carter. I thought he imposed his will on this game in a way that we've been waiting to see him do all season. We've been waiting to see Abdul Carter be the man for Penn State. And boy, did he go out there and have that kind of a performance again before he's going up against a Michigan offense that's going to demand a lot of him, going to demand that he is able to uh, identify where there are going to be gaps in the running game, where there are going to be those holes, where he's going to have to hit them to take down a pair of really good backs in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. And if this could be the kind of game that he is able to build on, awesome. If Penn State's able to get Chop Robinson back for that one, awesome. 
lot of things for Penn State to take into this game coming up against Michigan. And we'll do, obviously, our full pod where you're not just listening to me ramble on like a crazy person a little bit later in this week. Uh, But this is the season for Penn State. You know, I – pardon me for just one moment. As listeners of this podcast know, I thought this is a Penn State team that will win 10 games. I thought this is a 10-win Penn State team uh, because of how good I think Ohio State and Michigan are. But the opportunity is here on Saturday, 11 uh, uh, noon kick on Fox for Penn State to change that narrative, to make this the kind of season that Coming into this year, a lot of people were hopeful that they were going to be able to do. I I was hopeful that Penn State would be able to do this. It was always just a question of whether they would be able to against a team this good. And obviously, going into this game, uh, line has moved down a little bit. Michigan are four-and-a-half-point favorites uh, over Penn State in this one. FPI actually gives Penn State uh, a... 50.9% 50.9% chance of winning. They have a coin flip that narrowly favors Penn State, which uh, I think is huge. Like, like I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but like just seeing that there are people that are giving Penn State a chance to win this game, huge. Love to see that out of uh, ESPN's analytics. My my hunch is that S, I, I think SP Plus, uh, I, I'm probably going to end up being wrong here, uh, and I apologize, but I think SP Plus is going to probably – probably has like Michigan by about um, five points. Let me do a real quick look at Bill Connolly's Twitter account and see if he's put out, uh, put out potential scores for this week. Give me one second. Uh, 27, 21 Penn state. So we would have uh, Michigan winning by six points of that one, which uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, primary thoughts on Michigan. Uh, one I don't know who's going to be coaching Michigan. <laughs> like uh, everything that seems to be happening, every, a lot of things seem to be happening really quickly uh, with the Big Tens. Uh, I don't even want to say investigation, but potential punishment of the Michigan Wolverines, and whether that means Jim Harbaugh or one of their co- uh, coordinators, one of their coaches, whatever, is on the sideline. That's you know that's worth monitoring, and I- I'm interested in how big of a how big all of that is going to be because. I think this Michigan team is really good, really, really good, really, really talented. They're just rock solid on both sides of the football. They can beat you by running. They can beat you by passing their defense. One of the nation's uh, toughest and most physical. They're coming off a 41-13 win over Purdue where uh, one of those ones where they they ran up the score a bit in the fourth quarter. Uh, they went up 17-0 early on uh, and then 10 points over the next two quarters uh, before the fourth came around and they were able to put up another 14. Uh, I think Penn State's going to have have to play a perfect football game. Like, there's always the talk in a game like this of, you know, whoever makes the big mistake, blah, blah, blah. I think Michigan can – it's good enough that they can afford to make a few mistakes. They can afford to have one or two of those drives where J.J. McCarthy is just a little bit too amped up, where, uh, you know, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards aren't able to get those big gains in the passing game are in the running game where they're passing, you know, maybe there's a drop or two in there. I think Michigan is good enough that they can afford that kind of thing. I don't know if Penn state can afford that kind, you know, 
whether it's our throwing his next interception, whether it's a running back missing a hole, whether it's uh, a missed assignment in the passing game or the running game, whether on defense, whether that's uh, Keandre Lambert Smith or Dante Cephas dropping a football, whatever it is, I don't think Penn State can afford that kind of stuff. And that's ultimately why, again, we'll talk about this later in the week. That's why I'm going to pick Michigan to win this game ultimately. But having said that, confidence is a hell of a thing. And Drew Aller, confident, believing in himself, believing in his receivers. It's going to be a near impossible, I don't want to say a near impossible task. It's going to be a very difficult task for him to be able to figure out this Michigan defense. But I think he has it in him. You look at who Michigan has played this year. This is Michigan's first game against a ranked team. While it's a great Michigan team, while it's a Michigan team that I think is going to, uh, I think is going to go on to do some really excellent things this season. Penn State has played the 37th toughest schedule in college football. I'm not going to sit out here and say they're like hardened and battle tested and blah 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 all that. Michigan has played the 111th toughest schedule in all of college football up to this point. I'm doing a quick skim. They have played the easiest schedule of any power five team this year. I'm trying to find who would be the, uh, yeah, the next easiest is North Carolina, which has played the 99th toughest schedule on the year. This is going to be a test that Michigan hasn't had so far this season. And if Drew Aller is able to play with the confidence in himself and his receivers that he had, on Saturday, if Penn State's able to effectively run the football, because James Franklin hinted at it about this being a physical game between physical football teams. I think they're going to try to take Michigan's best punch and throw their best punch right back and be tough and be nasty and be physical. I don't know how well that's going to work out for Penn State, but I think they have it in them to be able to take that punch and respond with one of their own by getting Katron Allen in particular going on the ground. Penn State's defense, they got embarrassed by Michigan last year, particularly in the up the middle, uh the middle of their defense, their front seven in general with Michigan just running the ball uh all over them. By no means do I need to sit here and remind you uh just how ugly it was, but last year Penn State walked their way right into Ann Arbor and got an ass kicking. 563 total yards uh for the Wolverines, 418 on the ground, 173 for Donovan Edwards, 166 for Blake Corum, and a 41-17 Michigan win. I don't think – I think they're going to be able to run the ball a bit. There, I don't. I obviously don't think they're going to be able to do that. And all I want in this game is for Penn State to have a chance, for Penn State to get into the very end of this game and go, we can win this. Because I think if they do that, they – you know, anything can happen in that point – we don't, again, we don't know what all of this Big Ten investigation stuff is going to end up doing to Michigan in terms of who's coaching them, in terms of their mentality. Candidly, in terms of if they're going to have some sort of decided schematic advantage because they know every single thing coming from Penn State. We don't know how all of that is going to impact them. But we'll see on Saturday. We'll see what uh, Michigan has for Penn state. We'll see what Penn state has for Michigan. And we'll see if the Nittany lions can take advantage of the fact that everyone who has talked about this season being special 
has talked about this game in particular. It's a funny thing to remember after um, after the Ohio State game when Penn State lost that game and looked so hapless in it. But that was what everyone, <laughs> whether it's Penn State people or people outside of Penn State, that was the most popular pick was Penn State's 11 and one and they lose to Ohio State because it's on the road, but they beat Michigan because it's at home. Well, guess what? Now's the chance to beat Michigan because it's at home, and we'll see if Penn State is able to do that. I'm excited to figure it out. I think this is going to be a really gross, really ugly, really physical game that is going to demand a lot out of Penn State. And, you know, cometh the hour, cometh the man. I want to see if Drew Aller in particular is able to be the man for Penn State football. Uh, I think with that, how long have I – holy hell – 50 minutes. I, I completely lost track of that. I apologize for taking up this much of your time where you hear just my voice over the course of uh, the last 50 or so minutes, but we do want to thank you as always for listening to this edition of Roar Lions. Roar, as always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Use Apple Podcasts. Go leave us a five-star review. Spotify, go use that Q&A feature and leave us five stars there. YouTube, hop into the comments. Don't be too terribly mean to me, but uh, if you want to be mean about Maryland football, I'm giving you permission to do it this uh, one time. Just make sure you're subscribing to us over there follow us on twitter at rlr blog and as always shout out to home field apparel for sponsoring us sponsoring this pod pod sponsoring every pod use the promo code rlr23 uh to get 15 percent off of your first order if you've never purchased anything from home field apparel before one last time thank you very much for listening to this edition of roar lions roar i'm bill de filippo take care everyone